one of my all-time favorite movies. And and it's full of one-liners, but one of my favorite one-liners is what uh, the captain said right there. Uh, or not the captain, but Sheriff Brody. We're going to need a bigger boat. That is quite an understatement. L- let me ask you guys, how many of you are old enough to remember going to the theater to see the original Jaws? Wow, okay, okay, that's pretty cool. How many of you were scared to death to go back into the ocean? Yeah, yeah. How many of you will get in the ocean now? Yeah, I will. A few of us are still crazy enough to do it. Man, that movie, Jaws, scared a generation, literally, from from going into into the ocean. I, I snuck in to see it with a buddy of mine at Charlottetown uh, Cinemas. Anybody old enough to remember when... Charlottetown Cinemas, we're over in Charlotte, over in Midtown Charlotte. Yeah, we, we snuck in, and we were sitting about middle ways back, me and my buddy, Kenny. It's funny, Kenny's a Charlotte City policeman now. I'm a preacher, he's a policeman. We snuck into the movie. Anyway. And, um, you know, when the movie begins, they show the camera, and it's going through the seaweed and the water, and you can just hear the... It, oh, don't... Dun, dun. I'm sure I'm not doing that very well, but you, you get the point right. Dun, dun, dun. I was so scared I wanted to leave, but I was so scared I couldn't get up and leave because the theater was already dark at that point, and so it was just easier to stay where I was. I don't know, maybe I was afraid the shark was going to get me out in the lobby or something. I, I don't know, but man, that was scary. Now, I know that some of you are visiting with us today, and you're like, what in the world are they showing a movie clip at the beginning of a sermon for well, for about eight years now, and I think this is our eighth year, we've been doing a summer sermon series called God on Film. And normally what we do is we use a movie, like a blockbuster movie that's coming out uh, for the summer as the hook that just kind of gets us into the Bible and uh, we deal with some kind of theme or topic that's in the Bible. And again, normally we do movies that are current, like a movie that come out on Friday. That's the movie we deal with on Sunday. And the idea is that a lot of people like to go to the movies in the summer and they catch all the blockbusters. Uh, But for several years, I've wanted to do a series called God on Film Summer Classics, where we just talk about some of the themes in the movies and themes in the Bible in real life that are from, you know, movies that are from days gone by. But then when we start planning the series, I start thinking, oh man, there's some great movies that are coming out this summer, and so I'd rather deal with those. But I'm kind of a movie buff, and looking at the movies that are coming out this summer, there's a couple good ones, but no no real blockbusters. So I told our guys in in our planning meeting, I said, if we're ever going to do this God on Film Summer Classics, it's it's this summer. And and so you've seen the Jaws clip, we're going to talk about marriage and uh, family things from the Bible and look at the movie on Golden Pond. We're going to, I think somewhere in there, we've got National Lampoon's Vacation, um, Stand By Me. There's all kind of stuff. We're going to have a good time, but we're going to be learning as well from God's Word. I'm going to teach you today a message that I'm just calling Learning How to Be Obedient God. And I'm going to be teaching this morning from the book of Jonah, which is a story. How many of you know the story of Jonah? Yeah, in the book of Jonah, in his story, there's a big fish in that story that gets all of the press. But really, it's not a story about a fish. It's not a story about a fish swallowing up a man and the man staying inside of the fish for three days and then the fish vomits him up and he lands on the beach and that sort of thing. It's not about that. It's not even about the prophet Jonah. In fact, it's a story told about Jonah. Where Jonah is just one of the characters, the real hero, and the person the story is all about is God. And today we're going to talk about how to live a life of obedience to God. So if you have your Bible, open it up or, or turn it on and go to the book of Jonah. Now I'm going to tell you admittedly that Jonah is one of those kind of hard-to-find books in the Old Testament of the, of the Bible. It's sandwiched right between Obadiah and Micah. It's only, <clears throat> only about four chapters long. And so 
It's easy to thumb right over it, so don't be afraid to go to the table of contents in your Bible and find Jonah. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry, I need to cough. Can you mute my mic for me? I don't know if I've ever had to do that before or not. I've never done that and I've never burped in the microphone. But maybe later in the sermon, there's a first for everything. Don't don't be afraid to go to the table of contents in your Bible. And we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. Let's just dig in, shall we? You guys leaning forward? Got to be leaning forward. Lean forward, because if you lean back, you're tempted to go to sleep. And I don't want you to miss out on this message, because this is a message for every person listening today, whether you're sitting in one of these chairs, or whether you're listening to this message out on our podcast. This is a message for you. If you grew up in church, like I grew up in church, in a Christian home, and in my home, Jesus was so familiar to our family. It was like when my mama sat, The dinner table at night for supper is like she put an extra plate there for Jesus. He was just in our home. If that's the way you grew up, there's something in this message for you. If you're a church dropout, and I don't mean that to be offensive, but you've been out of church and now you're dropping back in. God bless you, Mark. I already knew you were going to heaven, but this confirms it right here. But you've been out of church. Maybe when you went off to college, you said, hey, I'm done with church. That was my parents' faith. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, but now you found your way back into church. Maybe it's because you have kids or you're going through some change or transition in your life. Maybe you're in trouble and so you've dropped back in. This is a message for you. Maybe you've never been in church. You don't know what to do with God. Maybe you're here and you think that you are not only an agnostic, you are just full-blown atheist, and you say there is no God, this is a message for you. And so I want you to sit back. I don't want you to fall asleep today. I want you to lean forward and learn how to live in obedience to God. You'll discover what that means as we walk through this passage. Jonah chapter 1. Everybody ready? If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, You can just listen along this morning. We don't have message notes. In your bulletin, there may be a blank sheet there for you to jot some things down, but no scriptures on the screen. You'll just have to listen to me read this morning. But let's dive in. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this is the word that came to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, just a couple of things I want to draw your attention to because I think They're not just trivial matters. They're important for the rest of the story. Jonah, like most of the minor prophets, begin with a conjunction. Now, I don't want to bore you to death right here, Jeff, but you know what a conjunction is in the English language? It's a word like and. Well, the Hebrew language, which Jonah was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, they also have the conjunction and. And you know, you're a teacher or you're just an English student. I'm neither, and you can tell that when I talk. Uh, you don't begin a sentence with the word and, because and joins phrases, it joins ideas. Yet this book begins with the word and. Again, as other books of prophecy do in the Old Testament. Why? It's to show you that this is not its own standalone or standalone story. It's a story that is a small story, an important one, a powerful one, but it is a part of the larger story that is the Word of God. And when you come to the book of Jonah, it should say, and the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what it means is, God is still saving people. God is still telling a story, and it's a salvation story. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Another thing, 
You know, some people, when they think about the story of Jonah, they think about the fish, because I told you the fish is the part of the story that typically gets all the press, whether it's in Sunday school or whether it's people who don't really believe the Bible. They'll talk about how ridiculous it is for a big fish to swallow a man, and he lives inside of that man for three days, and then he vomits him out, and he's still alive. They'll say it's a myth. But the person, the Hebrew, who wrote this story out is careful to say that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, not just a fictitious character, but it says the son of Amittai. That gives him a father and a mother. It puts him in the context of a family and a time. This is not a once upon a time story. This is a real story Jonah was a real person. This really happened. This is not just the fable about a character and a prop that is a fish. This really happened. Let me tell you who Jonah is. Jonah is a preacher. He's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. Because when God speaks to people, I mean, he can do it any way he wants to. And there are a number of, of ways that God speaks. Sometimes it's through a still, small voice in our lives, which I would say is the Holy Spirit. God speaks through His Word most often. If you want to hear God speak, get into the Bible, get into His Word, because He's always speaking there. But then God has people that I would call mouthpieces. His preachers, their prophets. Jonah is a preacher. He is a prophet. And so that, that's his job. So it's not anything unusual for God to say to him, I want you to preach. But what makes this different, this occasion a little different and uncomfortable for Jonah, is that God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, you need to know something about the Ninevites. They are one of the most wicked groups of people to ever live on planet Earth. The things that they would do to people. You know, I don't even want to talk about most of them because there are young ears in the room and there's mixed company here. But they're horrible. One of the cruelest things they used to do was bury people up to their shoulders out in the desert and force them to listen to Miley Cyrus CDs over and over and over again. I was just making sure you're still listening. They're mean people. Nasty. No offense to you Miley Cyrus fans. And so God says their wickedness has become so great that I've heard about it. You want to know if God hears or He knows about the wickedness going on in the world? Yes, He does. He said, it's come up to me and I want you to go and preach to these people. Let let me ask you a question. Has God ever asked you to do something that you didn't want to do? Oh my, let me count the ways. Anybody just want to bear witness to that? You don't have to say a word. Just raise your hand and we'll know what you mean. God's asked you to do something you didn't want to do. Well, you may find this hard to believe, but I didn't always want to be a preacher. That was not the plan that I had set out for my own life. You've heard me say this before, but I used to want to uh, take Gene Simmons' place uh, in the band Kiss and be their bass player, but apparently he's never going to quit. As long as they're making money, he's going to keep doing shows, and I wanted to play professional baseball and be a catcher one day for the L.A. Dodgers, but I can hit a high fastball, but I can't hit a curveball. In high school, well, actually, when I was 13, I started working all summer for my dad, and I loved his business. It was the construction equipment rental business, and I loved being with my dad and the men that worked with him and for him, and hanging out with contractors and getting dirty and the mechanics. And I just, I loved all of that. And so when I was, you know, young kid, I started working for him. And then in high school, I thought, well, I can't hit a curveball and I 
can't sing, so I, I'll just work for work for my dad, and I, I loved it anyway. But I knew when I was about 15 or 16 that God had a call on my life. I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but by the time I was 19 or 20, I knew that God wanted me to preach, but I didn't want that for my life. I didn't want to do that. When I was 19, I was working my butt off for my dad, but I was making good money. I wasn't the typical boss's son. I was usually the example whenever anything was wrong. I had to work overtime. I worked the crappy hours and all that kind of stuff, but I had it pretty good, too. I was driving a new vet around. I had a ski boat that I played in on the weekends. I was looking for a condo down on Lake Wiley. I have an aunt and uncle, two aunts and uncles that live on Lake Wiley, and that's not heaven, but it's you can see heaven from there, at least from where they live. And uh, I was dating a little hottie at the time. Her name was Karen Pate. Now it's Karen Pate Britt. And um, I was good. But God had other plans. God wanted me to preach. But I didn't want to do that at the time. Has God ever called you to do something that you didn't want to do? Let me ask you this way. What is God calling you to do right now that you're saying no to? Maybe God is saying to you, I want you to repair this broken relationship. I want you to work on it. Or I want you to work on your marriage instead of walking away from it and abandoning, abandoning it. I, I want you to do the hard work of putting it back together. You know, maybe you're here today and... Uh, You've already got an exit strategy for how you're going to get out of your marriage. What God is saying to you is, I want you to call the lawyer tomorrow and tell him or her you're not going to need their services. Get rid of the exit strategy. Maybe it's something to do with your finances. Maybe it's repairing a broken relationship with your kids. Maybe it's the call to I mean, I'm convinced that we have some kids in our church that God has His hand on their lives. He wants them to preach. I believe that one day we'll have kids that have grown up in this church that go through our kids' programs, go through middle school and high school, and when they start getting up against you know, their senior year and begin to graduate, They'll be saying, God has called me to the mission field, or God has called me to be a youth pastor, or God has called me to preach the gospel. Maybe God is calling you. The youth pastor that we have in our church right now was a member of our church and came here with his parents, but God had a calling on Jason's life. And hopefully sometime later this year, we're going to license and then ordain Jason as a, a youth pastor. Maybe God has put it out on your heart, but you've been saying no for years. You know, my grandpa was a Baptist preacher for about 40 years. He didn't answer to call the preach until he was about 40 years of age. So maybe God has a calling on your life and you've been running away. You've been saying no. And now you feel like, well, maybe too much time has gone past. No, it hasn't. What has God called you to do that you're saying no to? And when God asks you to do something, you know really there are only two answers you can give Him. Yes and no. Jonah said no. Look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarsus. He went down to Joppa, which is a port city. I've been to Joppa a couple of times and hope to be there again next year, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. I want to give you two life lessons here to write down. If you're taking notes, write this down. First, sometimes God calls us to do things we don't want to do. Sometimes God calls us in our lives to do things we don't want to do. 
And here's life lesson number two. When you want to live in disobedience to God, in other words, when you want to run away from God, there's always a boat and a crew that is sailing in the direction going away from God. Young people, I want you to hear me. Listen to me. If you want to run away from God, if you're going to say no, there is always a boat and a crew that's bound for Tarsus. Let let, let me tell you a little something about this trip that Jonah has planned out for his life. If you're looking at an ancient map or the copy of an ancient map that's uh, in the back of your Bible, perhaps, you'll see that Tarsus and Nineveh are in opposite directions. So he didn't just say, no, I'm not going and stay put at home. He said, no, I'm not going and I'm running away. I'm going to run as far away from God's calling on my life as I can possibly go. He ran completely in the opposite direction. And if you want to get away from God, if you want to go away from God, there's always a group of people who are headed in that direction. Dad, listen to me. You want to leave your wife and kids? There's a group of guys that are headed in that direction. Mom, if you want to leave your husband and your kids, there's a group of ladies that are headed in that direction. Misery loves company. Listen, if you want to dive deeper into that addiction that you're in, there is always a group of people on a boat that are sailing in that direction. And so consider this here a warning. I know you have your reasons, perhaps. Jonah had his reasons, too. You know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to the people there? Because he knew about God what you need to know about God as well. God doesn't overlook sin and wickedness. He's patient with people, but He doesn't let it exist forever. When He's had enough, He sends His prophet to preach against that wickedness. And sometimes, it's just to pronounce the judgment. To say it's over, it's done. God does that, for example, with His own people. Some of the minor prophets preach messages to their own people to say, God has had it. He's going to judge it. It's over and it's done. But sometimes, the message is, God has seen your wickedness. He wants you to repent of your sins. And sometimes, People hear that message, they repent of their sins, and rather than God judging them, He holds back His judgment and puts His blessing on them. Now you might be thinking, wouldn't Jonah want that? Well, no, he didn't. He believed that the people of Nineveh were so wicked, they didn't deserve the forgiveness and the blessing of God. They deserved His judgment and a curse. And so he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. He would have been willing to preach judgment and let that be the end of it, or condemnation, but he was afraid that God wanted to forgive these people. And so he ran away. I don't know what your reasons are for running, but if you're trying to get away from God, there's always a boat and always a crew a group of people that are headed in the wrong direction. And parents, can I say one more thing about this before we leave it? You know, this is something we preach to our kids all the time, don't we? We have different ways of doing it. Maybe you don't open the book of Jonah and sit down with your kids. And by the way, I don't either. Just in case you're wondering, I don't sit down with my kids and preach them a, a sermon like I'm, I'm doing with you. So I don't, I don't necessarily expect you to do that. But you have your own ways of saying, listen, um, the people you hang around with can make or break you. But for some reason, we feel like that doesn't apply to us. 
But parents, adults, it's just as true for us as it is for our middle school and high school. Jonah runs. Verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Now notice, now he's not speaking to Jonah through his word. He's still trying to get Jonah's attention, but now he's speaking to Jonah through the great wind. He sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is a serious storm. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out, to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, now listen, these guys are hardened sailors. This is not their first voyage. They've been in storms before. But this is a storm that's so bad, they're throwing out their payload because when you make the ship lighter, it will sail higher on the waves. And so, if that... You know, the higher you can sail, the less chance you have of water filling up your boat to sink it. I mean, these guys are desperate. That's what the historian's trying to tell us. They're desperate. That's their situation. Now look at Jonah. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Let let me tell you something about Jonah. Just to give the story away because we're not going to get that far in it. We're not going to be able to get through all four chapters. Eventually, Jonah does go to Nineveh and preach the message of God to the people there. And they repent of their sin. And the last picture we see of Jonah is not one of him rejoicing that all of these people have come to the Lord. He is sitting under a shade tree pouting that God has forgiven these. And this is a picture of just how uncaring he is. They're on the upper deck doing everything they can to save themselves. And the pro- they're calling out to their God. They're, they're pagans. And so, as the people of God, we ought to look at them in their plight and see how helpless they are. They're doing all that they know how to do. They're calling out to gods that are made of wood and stone and clay. But just trinkets, empty words, throwing their hope at something that can give them no hope, while the prophet of God, the one who speaks for God, the one who knows the true and living God and could help these people and bring peace to their lives, he's at sleep in the bottom of the boat. That's the way a lot of us live as the people of God. Our neighbors are frantically living their life, throwing their hope at any trinket they can. When we go to church week in and week out, we know the true and living God. We know the truth of Scripture. We know that God can help them, but we keep the message to ourselves. We're asleep while they perish. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe He will take notice of us. We will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. It's just a game of chance or luck. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And part of the message from that is that God is running after Jonah. And everything in the story points toward Jonah. This is God acting through His Word. This is God acting in the wind and the waves and the storms and even this game chance. So they asked Him five questions. I mean, they're, they're grilling them here. Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble. In other words, who are you? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Uh, what is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered them back. He said, I'm a Hebrew. And for the children of Israel, for the Jewish people, whenever they're introducing themselves to strangers, they introduce themselves as the children of Abraham. They say, we are Hebrews. 
He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them and they asked, what, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. That was a part of his bargaining with them to get on the boat in the very beginning. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? How do we appease your angry God who's trying to kill us? Which was not true on either account. He's not angry, nor is he trying to kill them. He's trying to get Jonah's attention. I want you to write this life lesson down. When you're running away from God, when you're trying to live in disobedience toward God, when you're trying to live out plan B for your life, which is your plan, rather than living out plan A for your life, which is God's plan, God will very often throw a storm at you to get your attention. Let that sink in for a minute. Because that makes us a little uncomfortable about God, doesn't it? You mean God would throw something like this at me? Yeah, He would. There are other places in Scripture where we see this happen, but none clearer than right here. God's not trying to kill the men on this boat. He's not trying to kill Jonah. He's trying to get Jonah's attention. And it may very well be that the storm in your life, the one you're trying to run away from, maybe even the one you're asking God to take away from you is a storm that God has hurled at you so that He can get your attention. Maybe it's something in your health. Maybe it is something in your finances. Maybe it's something in your marriage or some other relationship. But if you're running and living through the storm, it's likely that God has hurled the storm at you. How do we appease this God? How do we make Him happy? And one of the things that pagans would do in this time to appease their own pagan gods was to offer up a sacrifice. And so part of what they're asking here is, do we sacrifice you to your God or to our gods? Do we kill And this is what Jonah said. Verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I want you to listen to me here for a second. Jonah could have stopped the storm himself right here. He he could have just said, stop the boat and take me back. He he could have said, God, I'm not going to run away anymore. But if you take me back to Joppa, I'll catch the next boat, not going away from you, but going toward you. I'll go to Nineveh and do what you want me to do. I don't like it, but I'll go. He could have stopped it right then. Some of you could stop your storm if you would just stop running away. If you would just be obedient and do that thing that God is asking you to do. I'm not saying that all your problems in life will go away. They may just begin. But what I am offering you is that if you're going through a storm that God has hurled at you because you're living in disobedience toward Him, you can stop that storm by changing, by repenting, and moving back toward God. And I can't help but be hard on the guy 
But Jonah's response here to me is pathetic. Because he says, I'd rather just die now than go to Nineveh. Just, just kill me. Just throw me over. He won't say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I'll do this thing you ask. He says, just throw me in the water. Get it over with. If you're taking notes, write this phrase down. It's two words. It's called missional drift. Missional drift. That's what's wrong with Jonah. He has missional drift. What is at the heart of the reason that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh and preach the word of God there is because he doesn't know what that'll do to his situation. He doesn't know how that will mess up his life and the deal that he and his people have with God. I want you to follow me on this, okay? When the children of Israel come out of the Babylonian exile, and the book of Jonah is post-Babylonian exile. They, they've been living sometimes as slaves, other times as part of a community of three other people. And when they go back home, they become self-absorbed in their relationship with God. And Prophets like Jonah, and I'm going to put Nehemiah in there too, they become so focused on themselves that they forget the full charge that God gives to Abraham and the people who have become his children. In Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to bless you and make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you but I'm going to use you to bless the other nations. So what he's saying to them, let me just put this in business terms. I want you to import your faith in me so that you can become exporters of faith and blessing. I want you to bring other people into relationship with me. I'm going to use you to speak to other people. And Jonah didn't want to do that because he doesn't know what it looks like if the children of Israel are the people of God and then these cursed Ninevites. What does that look like in relationship with God? And so he's just not interested in them. Let them go to hell. They deserve it. Missional drift. Now before we just come down too hard on Jonah, Hebrews, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, let me tell you something, that there are little dead, spiritually dead, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian churches, you name it, on every street corner all over the South. And for our northern brethren, before you feel too good about saying, yeah, that's exactly what it's like in the South, let me tell you something. There are Catholic parishes all over the North and the Northeast that are empty this morning for the same reasons. Missional drift. We want people in our churches and in our parishes that look like us, Act like us, think like us, vote like us, same color of skin as us. And as long as they can come in and assimilate into what we want them to be, they're welcome. But don't ask us to get messy in their lives. If we have to change our culture, if we have to change up our music, if we have to change up a few things about us, I'm not talking about changing the gospel. Listen, the message never changes. But the methods sometimes do. And must. 
But there are churches all over this community right now. I could name them. I don't have to because you know who I'm talking about. There are a few people in there in their golden years and they want to reach their grandkids. They want to see their children come back to church as long as they don't have to change their traditions, their way of thinking, their way of singing, putting words on the screen instead of using a hymnal. Because if we've got to change that, then to hell with them. They're not wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong when you start putting your baggage and your culture on the Gospel. And it doesn't just happen in those churches. And it happens here too. And you can hear it when people say things like, um, I don't like parking in the gravel. I'm a member here. Why should I have to park in the gravel? I just washed my car this week. Cost me 20 bucks at Autobell. Now I've got, I've got armor all on my tires. And now you want me to ride through the grass. Wah. Wah. Missional drift begins to happen when you think it's all about you. It's not about you. The exceptions to it being about you are the people in in our church this morning who have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as far as we're concerned, it is about you. But for the rest of us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, for those of us who are members here, it's not about us. It's about the people who are not here. God's not about you. It's about Gina. Gina's not about you about Scott. It's about the person sitting next to you. We're supposed to serve each other, but for sure, your follower of Jesus is not about you. We, we want to remember the warm, fuzzy things that Jesus had to say to us, but we don't want to remember the hard things that Jesus said. He says things like, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. You can become like me. And to go with that, he says, the Son of Man, referring to Himself, didn't come to serve, or or to be served, but to serve others. I didn't come to sit on a throne and make all of my followers a part of my cabinet. I came to serve. If you want to follow me, then you serve. One of the greatest pictures we have of Jesus is one of the snapshots toward the end of his life when he and his disciples are celebrating the Passover feast together. We call it the Lord's Supper. He goes to his disciples. They are seated or lounging and with the servant's towel over his arm, he becomes not a servant. And let me tell you something, in our English translation, every, almost everywhere you see the word translated servant, it's just a terrible understanding of what that word means. The word in Greek is doulos. It doesn't mean servant. A servant implies that you get a paycheck for it. Doulos means slave. Jesus said, I've come to be a slave. I've come to empty myself of my rights. And he takes on the role of a slave as he puts that serving towel over his arm and he does the job of a slave and he cleans the feet of his disciples. That's disgusting. Yuck, I hate feet. I like my feet, but I hate your feet. I can't imagine anything worse. But Jesus came to be a servant, a slave. And listen, I know that this is one of the statements that thins out a crowd. 
But you're not giving your life to Jesus just so He can jump into your life and your dreams and make everything come true like He's Mickey Mouse or Jiminy Cricket. When you follow Jesus, when He becomes Lord of your life, you're emptied of all of your rights. It's not about you anymore. It's about Jesus and what He wants us to do. And what He wants us to do is serve other people. Man. That don't sound too sexy, does it? That's what He wants us to do. Instead, the men did their best to row back the land, but they, they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Now they're not crying out to their gods. They're crying out to the God of Jonah, the true and living God. In your English translation, it should say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In a Hebrew or Jewish Bible, they would leave that blank, or they might include the first consonant and the last consonant, but their words don't have vowels. But it's the name for Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. Not just any God, not a generic God, not one of their pagan gods, but they cry out to the true and living God. Yahweh, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. They're saying, okay, we'll do it. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Can you imagine what that was like? Verse 16 describes their reaction at this. The men greatly feared Yahweh, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, not their gods, but to the Lord, and made vows him. I, I, just as a side note, God even uses Jonah in his disobedience. The pagan men on this boat make vows to God because they've seen him work in their lives, even when Jonah was being disobedient. Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish, a Jaws-like fish, I guess, to swallow Jonah, and Jonah lived in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. Just to answer your question, there are fish in the bodies of water in that part of the world that are big enough to swallow a man whole. But how does a man live in the belly of a fish and survive for three days if you can get past the stench I don't know how you get past the digestive juices in that fish's belly. It's a miracle. That's all I can say. It's a miracle. But the fish should not get the press because this is not about the fish coming after Jonah. That fish represents God. God sent the word, but Jonah wouldn't listen to the word. He ran away. So God sent a storm. He wouldn't listen to the storm. So he was cast out of the boat. And now he's really in trouble. He's going down to the depths. He's down and out. And God won't let him go. He directs this fish. He doesn't create a fish. He directs a fish that he's already created to go and swallow him up, not to kill him, but to save him, to preserve him. If you're running away from God, God loves you so much that He will He'll come at you with storms, He'll swallow you up with fish because He loves you. And this is the last verse I want to read. It's Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. 
from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. It's repentance. It's like the prodigal son in Luke 15 who is out slopping the hog. He's starving. Comes to his senses. Says, even my father's hired men have a better life than this. I'll get up and go to him and say, Father, I've sinned against you and our God. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just hire me on as one of your men. He came to his senses. Jonah came to his senses in the belly of that fish. You ever heard of a jailhouse confession? Or I'm sorry, jailhouse conversion. That's what this is. And I get mad at people when they uh, say, oh, yeah, he's gone to jail. So, yeah, now he's, uh, as Medea would say, getting right with Jesus. Well, yeah, he is. Or yes, she is. Wouldn't you? Sometimes it's in jail. Sometimes it's in the storm. That we're sometimes it's when we're in the pigsty that only then we are willing to listen to God and yield our lives to Him. People most often come to Jesus when they're in uh, uh, a transition in life, when everything's changing, or when they're in trouble. Jonah is in prison in the belly of that fish. And that's when he calls on the Lord. And the Lord Lord heard him and forgave him and let him live, restored his call. Jonah's a baby about it all, but remember, it's not about Jonah, it's about God. And it's about us too. It's a salvation story. Some of you are running from God today. You're a follower of Jesus and God, the word of the Lord has come to you and God is saying, I want you to do this, but you're running away. Or you're the prodigal. You're in with the pigs. Or you're in the belly of the fish. You're in trouble. You're in the storm. Because God's chasing you and He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. Give you a hope and a future. He's not trying to kill you. He's coming after you because He loves you. I want to ask our band to go ahead and come forward. And I want everyone else to stand with me. Now listen, I know that normally... This is the part in the service where you think, oh, okay, everything's over. So you're going to reach around and start picking up your Bibles and your purse or whatever. Don't do that. If you check out, you've got to double your tithe today. I want you to stay with me. Because after our pray, our band is going to lead us in a song. It's called, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Some of you need God today. Because again, you're in that storm. You're in the belly of the well. You're in the belly of a fish. Something has you caught up. You're in trouble. You're going through a change in your life. You're going through this big transition. You don't know where the storm has come from or when it's going to end. It can end today if The storm is there because you're running away from God. I want you to sing this song, but I also want you to give God room in your heart today to speak to you. So you'll stop running. You'll stop saying no. You'll let God forgive you.
get you headed back in the right direction. Let's let's sing, and then I'll be back to close us with prayer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to. You need to pray with me right now and just ask Him to come into your heart, come into your life. I'm going to lead you in that prayer. Maybe you're here and you've been living like Jonah. You've just been unconcerned about the people around you that are calling on to gods that are not real. Or holding on to false hope. But you need to be the person of peace in their life. You need to tell them about your faith in Jesus. Or you need to invite them to church. Let me tell you that while we're going to be in this series, God on Film, we're going to be preaching the gospel every weekend here in this church. And if you know people who need hope and they need Jesus, we're going to be lifting him up. So you bring them with you. But you need to pray right now and say, God, I've been living with the wrong spirit. I've been hanging out in the bottom of the boat while the people around me are dying without Jesus. And you pray with me as well. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just say, God, right now, you can pray my words. You don't have to pray them out loud, but you can whisper them if you'd like to. You can say them in your heart and mind. Our God is the God who searches hearts and minds. He'll hear you when you pray. Just say, God, right now, I'm crossing the line from unbelief to belief. God, in the best way I know how, I'm believing in Your Son, Jesus, today. I've heard Your Word like it went out to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I hear You speaking today. It's not an audible voice, but it's a voice in my heart. I know You're tugging on me. You're speaking to me. And so I'm responding right now. And now just say, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins because I am repenting. I'm stopping right here in my storm. I'm stopping right in my tracks. And instead of running away from you, I'm moving toward you. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. And now give me the courage that it takes to follow You, to give up my rights as a person and live for You and You only. Jesus, it's in Your name that I pray. Amen. And listen, if you made that decision today, we want to know about it. And so in the video this morning, you saw um, the connection card. Before you leave, you'll just fill that connection card out And on your way out today, we'll have ushers at all the doors, and that's where we'll leave our tithes and offerings. So thank you for giving. But make sure you leave that connection card. And before you drop it into the offering basket, write a B on the front or the back, and that'll let us know that you're believing in Jesus today. We want to help you make some important next steps this week as you begin to follow Jesus. Will you do that? Do you think it's been a pretty good day at Rocky River? Has it been all right? God is good, isn't He? God is good. And He's working in people's lives. And He's taking care of us. And He's saving us. And Willow, He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's directing us. He's still calling us. He wants us to be difference makers in the world. When you walk out of here today, if you know Jesus, live like Jesus. When you go to lunch today, treat that wait person like Jesus would treat them. Treat that husband at home that doesn't love you the way he ought to like Jesus. Treat your wife who doesn't love you or treat you the way you want to be treated like Jesus. Treat your children like Jesus. Be 
Jesus. I love you guys. Greg Kesterson, I want to put you on the spot and ask you to close us in prayer. And uh, I want to tell you before Greg prays that I love you guys. And uh, I just, I love you. I'm proud to be your pastor. I'm proud of who you are. I'm proud of your generosity. I see it all the time in ways that I just can't even say it here. But we're a church that meets people's needs here in our community of faith and people that are perfect strangers to us. That's because you live with open hands. And it makes me so proud of you. You keep living that way. You keep serving. You be Jesus to the people around us. And we'll see revival in our community. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm praying for.